You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we return here with another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire, and we return here. It is a midweek edition of Locked On Ravens here on Wednesday, June 2nd, the second day of June. And there was no Julio Jones trade yesterday. I know many people probably thought there might have been some movement because of the June 1st deadline, which opens up a ton of possibilities for a lot of NFL teams transaction-wise. But apparently something could happen in the coming days or the coming weeks based off of things that I've seen on social media. So we'll see what ends up happening in that situation. Some great sports last night. There was the Denver Nuggets defeating the Portland Trailblazers in Game 5 of their series. And I am a Denver Nuggets fan, so... It was good to see the Nuggets win, but it's one of those games, too, where you're watching it, you're just seeing the greatness that Damian Lillard puts on display there, and you can do nothing but respect it, but it also wants you to kind of get back into the swing of football, watching football. It's one of those games where you're thinking, man, I really miss these emotions with football. It's that those highs and those lows, the extreme excitement, the electricity, the frustration, the extreme frustration, right? All these different emotions that come with watching sporting events. You know, I can't wait to watch the Ravens play football again and hopefully what will be a full M&T Bank Stadium. So for this episode here today, we do have a bit to talk about the Ravens making a couple of transactions yesterday in terms of waving guys as well as signing and working out some guys as well, mostly on the defensive line. So we'll talk about those transactions and workouts and whatnot in the first segment. In the second segment, we'll be getting into your mailbag questions. We have three mailbag questions here today, and they are good ones, mostly directed at Julio Jones, as that has been the big topic here on the show over the past week and some change. So we'll get into those in the second segment. And finally, in the third segment, talking a bit about if the Ravens can maybe throw the football more in 2021, if they should throw the football more in 2021. I know that's been a pretty big talking point throughout the course of this offseason, especially with the weapons that Baltimore has ended up bringing in. So just talking about where they ended up ranking last year and if they can actually go and do it more in 2021 and how it would actually benefit them or not benefit them if they do do it. So Let's jump right into it here, but before we do that, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere there's a podcast where they're waiting, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnRavens and my personal account at KOSTRIKER34. So with all that being said, we are going to dive right into it here, and let's start off with these transactions that the Ravens did make on Tuesday, and they were minor ones involving undrafted rookies across the board in one veteran workout. So let's start with the undrafted rookies. Baltimore waving injured two of their undrafted rookies in defensive tackle Xavier Kelly and wide receiver Dante Silenkew. This is something where for Baltimore, Xavier Kelly tore his Achilles and was not going to be able to make an impact on the field. Both these guys were waived with an injury designation, so if they do clear waivers and when that would occur, they will revert back to injured reserve, so they will still count, I believe, a bit against Baltimore's salary cap, but they will retain the rights on them. And for Silent Q in particular, he is Lamar Jackson's high school teammate. He was Lamar Jackson's high school teammate. The two played together at Boynton Beach Community High School and really lit that high school game on fire. So we'll see how the Ravens end up wanting to use 
him next year. Maybe they will develop him a little bit and everything, keeping him on the roster. For Kelly, though, we kind of talked about this with the depth chart, unofficial depth chart episode yesterday. And the fact that the Ravens might not have as much defensive line depth as maybe they would like behind guys like Clayus Campbell and Derek Wolf and Brandon Williams. So Xavier Kelly was someone who, to some extent, was a camp body, but could have gone in there, and if he turned heads, could have made the 53-man roster and challenged maybe Justin Ellis, or if Project Washington's off-the-field stuff isn't sorted out yet, could have taken that roster spot as well. So Kelly is someone, a lot of upside, a lot of potential, but unfortunately we'll have to come back from that torn Achilles Baltimore did need some more defensive line depth, though, so they go out and sign Jovan Swan, the defensive lineman out of Stanford and Indiana. Played three years at Stanford University before transferring to Indiana University for his final year. 87 total tackles, 16 and a half of those for loss, and eight and a half sacks in his four years in college. He's someone who is very productive, had that production in college, as I just read out. And again, kind of the same situation as Xavier Kelly, right? More of a camp body can definitely challenge for a 53-man spot. Baltimore also working out Darius Kilgo, who was a stud at the University of Maryland, played there for four years, was picked in the 2015 NFL Draft, has bounced around. He's now 29 years old, but maybe the Ravens do sign both, and it is Swan and Kilgo, but it does seem like Baltimore is going the more undrafted route here, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Kilgo signed in the coming days or even weeks here. But what this does tell me is Baltimore is looking for that defensive line depth. And again, I kind of did talk about this yesterday, but Clayus Campbell, Brandon Williams, and Derek Wolf are not young, right? They are no spring chickens. They have a lot of wear and tear on their bodies. And it's something where with some of these veteran players, and Baltimore's done a very good job at this with other positions as well. I mean, you look at Brandon Carr and Jimmy Smith as cornerbacks as recent examples of it. Guys are going to be more productive when they don't have to put on the full wear and tear of a full, now 17-game NFL season, and the Ravens do that by managing snaps, by having quality depth behind these players. Justin Manabuike, Washington, Ellis, those guys will be able to come in and spell them, but you need to have the production. If you don't have guys who can play meaningful snaps for you, when guys like Campbell, Wolf, and Williams sit... You're going to struggle on the downs that they're not on the football field because of either you're not getting any interior pass rush or you're not able to get interior penetration and fill gaps on run plays. You're not able to command double teams that free up linebackers. There are all those different things that help a defense, all the little things that help a defense and having studs, not only just your starters, but also with the depth. That's really important. So, you know, it's it's kind of like the philosophy that Eric DaCosta and company talked about before the draft and the pre-draft process where he was talking about, yeah, we want as many swings as possible to go out there and, and try to find these studs. And for the Ravens, it seems like they're doing that right now with drafting some defensive line depth. We've seen it not this year, but last year with Matabuike in Washington. But it was kind of a shock, honestly, to me to see the Ravens not go out and draft at least one defensive lineman. They have been a team that likes drafting defensive linemen. They've had success doing it, but they didn't do it this year. And I think that signals to me that they feel confident in the players that they do have. But stuff to keep in mind is that Clayus Campbell missed a good chunk of the season last year because of an injury. And you weren't having Derek Wolf and Brandon Williams out there applying a ton of snaps because they just can't go through that anymore. And having them well-rested is much more significant now than it was 
five, six years ago for those guys. So Justin Matabike will get a ton of run, but can Justin Ellis provide that boost? Or do the Ravens have to turn to somebody like Yovan Swan, who could come in and make a case for himself? And it's not like Swan is some tweener. He's 6'2", 280 pounds, you know, not a nose tackle, but he can play along the defensive line. He can play defensive end also kind of in a defensive tackle role as well. And I thought that Xavier Kelly, out of all the undrafted rookies, had one of the better shots to make the team just because of the lack of depth on the defensive line at times where you have your three in Williams, Campbell, and Wolf. Then you have Matabuike, who is kind of like your super sub almost, but is also going to be getting a ton more snaps than he did in 2020. But then after that, where do you go? Where is the proof that guys like Project Washington and Justin Ellis can provide you consistent, meaningful, good snaps. They can do some stuff. I'm not writing them off or anything, but if Yovan Swan comes in and has an impressive preseason and Justin Ellis, for example, does not, or Project Washington, for example, does not, this new regime of Eric DaCosta and company has shown that they are willing to move off of draft picks a lot easier and a lot sooner than the old regime with Ozzie Newsome. Now, neither approach is bad, in my opinion. I think trusting your rookies is fine. Also, if you don't see a fit, you're able to get out of it early and save a roster spot almost. So I think that at this point, Washington is the more likely cut than Ellis, even though to me, Ellis hasn't proven that he can play those consistent snaps. But I do think that these signings, these workouts do point that the Ravens are looking for a bit more of a defensive line presence just in terms of depth. They have the studs and they have the super sub amount of week, but the depth behind it does get pretty dicey when you're looking at maybe a guy, let's say last year's situation does happen again and knock on wood, it does not. But if Clay's Kimball goes down again, who is filling in? Who is the guy to fill in? Can Ellis, can Washington, can Swan do it? We'll find out in 2021. We're going to head into our first break now, but when we return, we'll be answering your mailbag questions, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be back soon. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. What's your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including coconut, coconut almond, raspberry, mint, brownie, double chocolate, and salted caramel? Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need into a traditional chain storefront. Wind off from pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And we return here with our second segment of this Wednesday edition of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostriker is still here with you. And we're not going to get into our mailbag. And we will start off with the Julio Jones related content because all of it is Julio Jones related content on this segment here for this mailbag. And I know Julio Jones has been a very big topic over. The recent weeks and a lot of people do have questions about, you know, the acquisition, how it could happen, what the impact would be. So let's start off here with a question from Kevin who asks, Julio for Sammy and a second. Does that clear the cap issues? So Kevin, this is actually really interesting because Sammy Watkins, he signed a one-year $5 million deal with the Ravens. So just outright, that wouldn't clear the cap because I think with Baltimore right now, they'd be just 
over the $15 million that they would be able to take in. They'd be just over that if they were able to trade Watkins in a deal for Julio. In Baltimore, I think something else that is kind of swept under the rug is Baltimore likes to go into the year with a a decent amount of cap space for whether it be injury-related signings or trade deadline signings. They don't like to spend up to the absolute penny when it comes to having a full 53-man roster. So ideally for Baltimore to make a trade, they might want $20 million in cap space in 2021 right now. They might want $22 million in cap space in 2021. So just because the team does get around $15 million doesn't mean that they'd feel comfortable and they might do a couple more restructures or they might try to do some restructures with players. Now with Watkins and his base salary and signing bonus, how that was structured, it was a one-year deal. He is making... million in base salary with a $3.75 million signing bonus. So from a Falcons perspective, if he were to be traded to the Falcons, the Falcons would only be on the hook for $1.25 million, and that $3.75 signing bonus would still be paid by the Ravens. So there is all this kind of salary cap gymnastics to work around, but you know the main point I want to make here, Kevin, is the Ravens, even though, you know, from a actual one-year $5 million deal perspective, just that's how it's laid out, the Ravens are probably getting to, I, I believe it's around $14.9 million in cap space with that, if that was the deal, just if they take Watkins off the books right now. But I still think they would want more. I think what's more realistic is a second and fourth round pick. You're not really trading any any players in it, but you're restructuring some deals and That's something that it could be one player, it could be two players, you might restructure Ronnie Stanley's contract, you could maybe look to Marlon Humphrey's contract for future years. There are a couple things they could do, but the salary cap right now for Julio Jones trade to Baltimore is a bit of an issue, but Kevin, it was a good question because there are just so many different things to go into the salary cap and you know, what? Th- what's the team paying and what's the other team paying and how is that money going to be paid and how are the Ravens going to be able to clear cap space? There's so much that is put into it. So I appreciate you asking that question, Kevin. Next, we're going to look at a question from Zachary Ostriker. And that name sounds familiar, right? It's my brother. And hey, family members, family members can ask questions too. Do not get it twisted. And Zachary asks, what's your take on if Julio can still compete in the way the Ravens need him to in order to get a deep playoff run? And yeah, Zachary, this is something that is is interesting because some people look at Julio Jones and they look at the fact that he's 32 and they look at the fact that he's been injured a little bit over the past couple of years and it's not just big injuries, it's it's nagging injuries as well. And they look at that and they say, it is not worth the money, it is not worth the draft capital, it is not worth this, it is not worth that. In my opinion, it's difficult to say whether it's worth it or not, but what I do know is Julio Jones would instantly become the best wide receiver on Baltimore's roster, and that's what I think a lot of people who want Julio Jones are thinking. They don't care that Devin Duvernay could be good three years down the road, or they don't care that Tylen Wallace could be the stud four years down the road. They want production now, and for the Ravens, they also understand that they need to not necessarily put all their chips in and go all, all in and just mortgage and sacrifice the future, but they need to start taking advantage of Lamar Jackson's rookie contract. They have kind of built their roster up to do so, but now it's time to fully execute. Going in on Julio Jones seems like an all-in move for this team if they were to do it because they feel confident in the wide receivers they have on their roster right now with Duvernay and Wallace and Boykin and Prochet. 
if the Ravens don't get Julio Jones, they're going to be just fine, right? It's kind of, either way, they're going to be fine, but obviously having a Julio Jones on your roster does make you a better football team, and I think that when you look at what Julio Jones brings to the table in terms of a scheme fit, he is an outside receiver, he is a contested catch monster, he can get open in the middle of the field, and the way the Ravens run their offense, they're not going to be able, opposing defenses are not going to be able to defend they're going to have to choose. It's going to be Julio Jones or it's going to be the run game. And with the Ravens, they can run heavy personnel with Jones still out there on the field and throw in those sets because it'll be Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle and maybe even Patrick Ricard. And then if, if there's only one receiver on the field and that's Jones, you still have to respect Jones on the field. So I think that Jones can still compete, Zachary, in the way that the Ravens would need him to. And, you know, maybe when this contract is up, the Julio Jones deal, right now it's three years, $38 million. You get to that third year, you start to see Julio Jones slowing down a considerable amount. Sure, I can see that happening. But I think that he has really two good years of good, good football left before you start to see a huge drop-off from him. And if the Ravens can make it work and they think that this is the move that pushes them into that prime Super Bowl contention, I absolutely think they should go for it. But again, it's a matter of do they feel like that contract in the draft capital, in the nagging injuries, and the wide receivers they already have, is that worth it to go all in for Julio Jones? That's only a question that they can answer. Finally here, we'll take a look at a question from Brendan Ward, who says, It is puzzling to me that fans are clamoring for a Julio when there are significantly weaker spots on the roster. Edge and offensive tackle depth. Houston Ingram and Schwartz Kelly. It's harder to close out games without either. One injury to either position group could be a season crusher, in my opinion. And Brendan, I agree with you. I think that when you look at offensive tackle depth, the Ravens feel confident in what they have, but... Who knows if Ronnie Stanley is going to be back to his full actual potential, what he's able, what he's been able to play up to. Is he going to be back to that in week one or is it going to take a couple weeks for him to kind of get settled in? Is there potential for injury with Ronnie Stanley? Ronnie Stanley has never played a full 16 game season in his entire career. So when you look at offensive tackle depth, I think they're, they're confident in what they have with Tyree Phillips. I also think that they can move Patrick McCarry out there if they need to. He can play all five positions. They have all that other depth. So I think that with the, not positionless offensive line, but there are a lot of guys who can move around the offensive line. So I'm more confident in that right now, although they it is a little thin. The edge, I think, is what is the issue for me. Not because of the talent that the team has on the roster. They do have plenty of that talent and Bowser, Ferguson, and they have Adafi Owe now, and they have Dalen Hayes now, and they brought back Pernod McPhee as well. They have a bunch of guys, but... None of them are pure pass rushers at this point. Can they turn into one in 2021? Sure. Can Tyus Bowser take that leap? Absolutely. Can Adafi Owe come in and, and absolutely have that impact? Yeah, he can. But a guy like Justin Houston, a guy like Melvin Ingram, that veteran pass rushing presence would help this team tremendously. So if you have a choice between Justin Houston and Julio Jones, everybody knows what the flashier option is. It's Julio Jones. But who is the guy that fills the need? It's Justin Houston. And that's someone who I would personally prioritize because even without the Ravens getting Julio Jones, this team still has three receiver sets of Hollywood Brown, Rashad Bateman, and Sammy Watkins. That's pretty good. That's pretty good in my opinion. So I'm not necessarily banging the table saying, oh my God, if the Ravens don't get Julio Jones, they're not going to win the Super Bowl there. They have to make that move. It would be nice if they made the move, like if, if they can figure out everything. But I think for me, Houston is the bigger need for this team right now. He is the more important need for this team right now because what happens 
week three, week four, you have two sacks from your edge rushers and you're not getting the pressure you need to. And in order to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, for example, you need to be able to pressure Patrick Mahomes without blitzing or else he will slice and dice your defense. So to be able to have a guy like Justin Houston who can win one-on-one battles and command attention from tight ends and command attention from multiple offensive linemen, that's a huge asset to have. So they need somebody to step up in that role. And then if the Ravens don't capitalize on Houston or Inger being available now and they're both signed by the time week two rolls around, week three rolls around, and they need someone at that position, they'll have to look to the trade market again and see what's out there. So I think that Houston, to me, is the better option for the Ravens to acquire right now. But if the Ravens do think Julio Jones is that missing piece, then they're going to go out there and they're going to try to get him. So we'll learn a lot about this Ravens team in the coming days and weeks, and we'll see how they end up going about multiple situations when it comes to acquiring potentially really important playmakers to either their offense or their defense. We're going to head into our final break now, but when we return, we'll be taking a look at if the Baltimore Ravens We'll throw the football more in 2021, so stay tuned for that, and we'll be back soon. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of UFC and MMA action. For the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device, and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their run to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile devices that up today and receive our 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And we return here with our final segment of this Wednesday edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostriker is still hanging out with you here. And now we're going to get into a what I think is a burning question, and that is... The Ravens' offensive scheme is going to look, I think, a little bit different in 2021, but something that a lot of people have been asking is, will the Ravens throw the football more in 2021? And it's something where you could argue for yes and no, but in my opinion, I have been kind of saying this for the past few weeks, I think the answer is yes. And there are a few reasons for that, but I think first what I want to dive into is how the Ravens ended up having pass-first-run splits in 2020. Baltimore finished with an NFL high 555 carries in 2020 and an NFL low 406 passing attempts. So that's something where it is a little bit skewed in one direction because that is also taking into account kneel downs and scrambles and 32 sacks as well. So when you look at all that, stuff starts to narrow towards, all right, it was more of a well-balanced offense, but still... Something that's pretty interesting to me, and I think some people notice this as well, is the fact that the Ravens didn't really have an identity early on in that 2020 season, and that's something that I think actually really hurt them early on. Obviously, they blow out the Cleveland Browns 38-6 to in Week 1, have a pretty good game against the Houston Texans in Week 2 as well, but then it just seems the Week 3 matchup, Kansas City Chiefs, primetime football, they just lost their identity. That game sucked their will right out of them, and they went back to the drawing board looking for answers, and honestly, kind of a harsh opinion here for me, they chose wrong. I think they started to try to force the football, start forcing to, not necessarily they were moving away from what they were doing, but in a way, they were. They were a historic rushing offense in 2019, but then you see for a couple of games and during that rough stretch where the Ravens started losing a couple of games, 
they started to force feed throws to some receivers and it seemed like they were trying to have Lamar Jackson play to a certain way when in reality this team their bread and butter is the run game now that's not to say Lamar Jackson can't throw I'm not saying that at all I'm also not saying that the Ravens can't throw the football in general that they couldn't in 2020 something I've been saying for geez I don't even know how long now is the Ravens their run game opens up their pass offense and their pass game opens up their run offense and that's just something that is a fact when you throw the football effectively teams have to respect that they have to drop guys out of the box and you can run the football effectively then same thing if you're running the ball well the teams have to begin to stack the box and then you can throw the football because there's more space to do so but the Ravens, it just seemed like early on in that season, the 2020 season, they weren't doing things their way. And then finally, you know, the whole COVID thing happens and Baltimore after that begins to run the football a lot more. And then you start to see the offense open up. You start to see not just the run game succeed, but also the pass game succeed. And that was with weapons like Willie Sneed and Miles Boykin playing considerable snaps and all these other guys. And that's no slight to them, but now the Ravens have better weapons that are going to be on the football field in 2021. Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, I expect to see Devin DuVernay have an uptick in snaps. The Ravens are going to have a really good offense in 2021. They have had a really good offense, historic offenses over these past couple of seasons. But also, the Ravens had to change their offensive philosophy a lot, both when Ronnie Stanley went down and when Nick Boyle went down. Those are arguably your two best blockers, and both of them go down in a span of, I believe it was three weeks, two de- two injuries in three weeks, I think it was, yeah. So the Ravens had to change what they were doing on offense, and you started to see those pure two tight end sets with Mark Andrews and Eric Tomlinson. You tried it with Luke Wilson there for a little bit too, but... Luke Wilson didn't really end up working out in Baltimore. So now what you have is I think the Ravens are going to get to more of more three tight end sets in 2021, but also the way that those three tight end sets work and the way that they're so effective is that Baltimore is able to throw out of them. And that's where the Hayden Hurst element of things is missed. But at the same time, now you can run three receiver sets with Watkins, Bateman, and Brown, and that is deadly because you can also run out of that formation as well. It's not like just because you have three receivers on the field means that you have to throw the football every time. Once that starts happening and teams can't go and force help to one side or put a safety over the top on Marquise Brown, and they have to start pushing that safety inside towards the box, or they have to start moving guys around and maybe closing in on rushing lanes a bit more, then you're able to get one-on-one matchups where you're able to have Marquise Brown beat someone deep with very minimal help over top because that safety is down worried about the option. And I think we're going to see more of that option in 2021 too. All of that is really, really interesting because there are so many different ways the Ravens can go here. And and that's without Julio Jones. Again, it's not just this Julio Jones makes the Ravens offense, not having him breaks the Ravens offense. Baltimore has had a successful offense without Julio Jones. I expect a big second year from J.K. Dobbins. I expect a big fourth year from Gus Edwards. So what you have is not only the balance in the pass game, but you have the balance in the run game that supports the pass game. And that's all really important to think about because when people think about pass-happy offenses, they're thinking about, oh man, they're throwing 50 times a game, they're running 10 times a game. But that's not really what a successful pass-heavy offense is. Now, I'm not saying the Ravens are going to be that pass-heavy, they're throwing 600 times a season type offense. No, they're still going to be a run-first team. I mean, that is their identity. I'd be completely shocked and blown away if they decided to move away from that for a second straight season and see what it ends up getting them because 
I don't think it'll get them anything good. I think you can still be a run-heavy offense, a run-first team, while also having a successful passing game and throwing the football more than you did the previous year and seeing a ton of success with it. And all this, we've been talking about the weapons, we've been talking about the receivers, but let's talk about the quarterback for a little bit, right? Lamar Jackson is improving as a passer, and he's also improving as an overall football player. This is not the Lamar Jackson from his rookie season where you see a little bit of issues with the reads and issues with, you know, the accuracy. We have started to see that growth continuously from Lamar Jackson, and just because the stats dropped off from year two to year three doesn't mean that he didn't improve in some aspects, and now with yet another offseason, with more weapons, and with Hopefully what will be a better offensive line, the Ravens will be able to throw the football and obviously run the football more effectively as well. I mean, I'm excited to see what this team can do on offense, but with the question of will the Ravens throw the football more in 2021, I think the answer is yes. Just with the way this season has been shaping up, with the additions the team has made, they are committed to their young quarterback. They are committed to, I think, having a good run game and pass game at the same time. People have said, oh man, if, if this Ravens pass game can't get it together, this team is not going to be a playoff team. This team is not going to be a Super Bowl team. And to an extent, they are correct. But it isn't that whole thing where the Ravens have to go and throw the football a ton every single game. As long as their run game continues to open up those opportunities in the pass game, you can still throw the football more as a team, but not necessarily be a pass dominant team. So we will see how this Ravens team comes out of the gate in week one against the Las Vegas Raiders on Monday Night Football, but I'd anticipate them coming out, throwing the football a lot. Obviously, it's not going to be their bread and butter. That's always the run game, but I do believe this team will throw the football more in 2021. That's all that I have for you today. When we get back here tomorrow, we'll be diving into more Ravens talk, so stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.